Greetings, this is J.R. Dickey. Thanks for tuning in to our podcast. And by the way, don't forget our website, graceandtruth.net. I hope you're having a great day, but if not, hang with me. It's about to get better. Okay, today we're going to continue to walk through the book of Genesis. We're in chapter 8. It's in two parts. This is part 1. I call it the comfort. Here we go. Then God remembered Noah and every living thing, and all the animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind to pass over the earth, and the waters subsided. You know, Noah waited a long time in the ark without hearing from God. With the ship rolling, the earth disappearing, the people outside screaming, the skies thundering, never before had such a stormy time come Perhaps you find yourself in such times and you think, well, the Lord has forsaken me or the Lord has forgotten me. And and if so, be encouraged. For the Lord says, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Surely they may forget, yet I will not forget you. See, I have inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Isaiah 49. Well, just what is that inscription on his hands? It's nail holes. You know Jesus. After he rose from the dead, kept his scars. He showed them to the disciples, and especially Thomas, who was doubting. He has kept the holes in his hands specifically, so he will remember. Not in anger, but in love. Not in revenge, but in recalling the price he paid for you and for the joy set before him of having you in his kingdom. Hebrews 12, 1-6 Although it may sometimes seem like it, God doesn't forget us. You know, David mourned, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? which even the skeptics recognize as the cry of the Messiah in Psalms 22, and Christians recognize as some of the last words of Jesus upon the cross of Calvary. Jesus understands that feeling, for he truly was forsaken by God for a moment as he carried the sins of the world. And because of that, because Christ suffered that judgment, He absorbed the waves of loneliness and forsakenness for us all. Now we are never forsaken. He has said in Hebrews 13.5, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Friend, God has not forgotten you. Even in times of tribulation, when you may think you've just gone too far, you may wonder, where is the Lord in such times? Remember King David's words when he said, Where can I go from your spirit? If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. All around you, it may look as lonely as the open sea, but God does remember you. Genesis goes on. The fountains of the deep and the windows of heaven also were stopped, and the rain from heaven was restrained. 
The fountains, the windows, and the rain of judgment were stopped. And for the believer, there is a new meaning to these once frightening words because of the ark that is our ark, the Lord Jesus Christ. Taking the pounding for you, so to speak, so you can have the fountain of living waters rather than fountains of death and destruction. Jesus said in John 7, He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow torrents of living water. Now the windows of heaven hold blessings for the believer. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. See Malachi 3.10. The rain also has new meaning for us. Bible says, For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there, but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return void, that is, without fruit, but shall accomplish what I please and prosper in the thing for which I sent it, Isaiah 55. It brings blessings. It says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of weeping, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with blessings. That's Psalm 84. You see, the fountains, the windows, and the rain represent great promise to the one who knows Christ, all because of the ark, because of the Lord himself. Well, Genesis goes on, And the waters receded continually from the earth. At the end of 150 days, the waters decreased. Well, this is the second mention of 150 days. The judgment that covered the earth, that afflicted all men, lasted 150 days. In considering the foreshadowing symbolism here, we look to the Great Tribulation period and likewise find that there is a judgment that afflicts all men who are not sealed up by God for 150 days. It says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. To him was given the key to the bottomless pit, and he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power, as the scorpions of the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth, or any green thing, or any tree, but only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were not given authority to kill them, but to torment them for five months. That's that, for 150 days. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man, and in those days... Men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die, 
and death will flee from them. That's Revelations 9. This is especially significant because, as you recall from our previous discussions on chapter 6 of Genesis, these demons who are described in the book of Revelation as hideous, locust-like creatures that come out of the bottomless pit. It is they who torment man for 150 days. And it is such torment that men seek death but are denied it. These are the very demons that corrupted the pre-flood world and were then bound in chains of darkness during the flood and kept there till the tribulation. Check out Jude 6 and 7. The typology is perfect. Genesis goes on. Then the ark rested in the seventh month, the seventeenth day of the month, on the mountains of Ararat. There's a beautiful message for us here, too. The word Ararat means holy place. After five months of torment, five months of worldwide devastation, the ark with the people of God inside, found rest on Mount Ararat, the holy place, the holy mountain, if you would. This points to the people of God, along with the Lord himself, resting in the holy mountain. And that's where the true rest is, isn't it? In the presence of the Lord on his holy mount. These massive beams of wood covered with pitch, or as we previously mentioned, covered with atonement, it's the same word, came to rest on a holy hill. In a parallel sense, another set of massive beams of wood dripping with the atoning blood of the Lamb of God was set on the Mount of Calvary. There's the true rest. There's the rest of the people of God. That's where the floods of tribulation carry us or lead us. They bring us to the cross of Christ. That's their whole purpose. Genesis goes on. And the waters decreased continually until the tenth month. In the tenth month, on the first day of the month, the tops of the mountains were seen. So it came to pass at the end of forty days that Noah opened the window of the ark which he had made. This is, as far as we know, was the first time the window was opened. It wasn't made so Noah could watch the destruction of those who had mocked him. No, it wasn't a vantage point from which to look down on the damned. It was a window of humility and hope. As Noah opened it and looked upon the horizon, he saw the tops of the mountains appearing. At this point, they looked like little island hills, a sight that surely brought a sense of humility, a holy awe, if you would, to Noah. When we realize that the mountains of despair or difficulty that stand before us are as nothing before the Lord, when we see them from His vantage point from above, we indeed have hope for the future. The windows or perspectives God gives us as we abide in Him are never for giving us condescending viewpoints or judgmental vistas at those who aren't in the ark, those that don't know the Lord. The Lord wants the windows of our souls to behold a broken world, desperately in need of the breath of His Spirit, the radiance of His love, the truth of His Word. He wants us to see people as He sees them and to walk in humility and hope. The word for window in this verse, Zohar, 
is not used for window anywhere else in Scripture. It literally means light. When our eyes are open to his light, we see as he sees. The psalmist saying, the entrance of your word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. And he prayed, open my eyes, that I may behold wondrous things from your law. Those are both in Psalms 119. Well, Genesis goes on. Then he sent out a raven, which kept going to and fro until the waters had dried up from the earth. Now, the raven was an unclean bird, as in Leviticus 11. But Genesis goes on, He sent also out from himself a dove to see if the waters had abated from the face of the ground. But the dove found no resting place for the sole of her foot, and she returned into the ark to him. For the waters were on the face of the whole earth. So he put out his hand and took her, and drew her into the ark to himself. And he waited yet another seven days. And again he sent the dove out from the ark. Then the dove came to him in the evening, and behold, a freshly plucked olive leaf was in her mouth. And Noah knew that the waters had receded from the earth. So he waited yet another seven days, and sent out the dove, which did not return again to him any more. Now, there's a picture here. I won't be dogmatic about it. Nevertheless, it has its basis in Scripture, and I'll suggest it for your consideration. Pray about it. Meditate on it. Search the Scriptures and see what you think. First, recall that we have Noah, who typifies or pictures the Jewish elect according to grace. Next, we have the ark which typifies the Lord himself, his presence, his protection, his priestly sacrifice. And we have the flood, which typifies the judgments of God. And then we have these two birds, one a raven and the other a dove. Both left the ark, but only one returned, the dove. The raven wandered to and fro over the earth. The dove found no rest for the sole of her feet and returned. Noah reached out and drew her, the dove, into the ark. After some time, she left again and returned with a freshly plucked leaf. After time, Noah reached out and drew her back into the ark. After some time, she left again and returned with a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then for the third time she was sent out and this time did not return to Noah. Now, as we mentioned, the raven is an unclean bird one that feeds on dead flesh. As we look at the scriptures, there's an interesting relationship with the raven and food. See Philippians 3, 18 and 19. Nearly all the references to the raven have to do with its uncleanness and its food or appetite. See Leviticus eleven fifteen, Deuteronomy 14, 14, and many others. In fact, we get our English words Ravenous and ravening, which denote a devouring appetite for that which is killed from this bird. There are just two exceptions. In Genesis, this verse where Noah initially puts his trust in this bird, and one in Song of Solomon, where the beloved, which is a type of Christ, is said to have beautiful black hair, as black as a raven, and interestingly enough, 
The very next sentence says he has dove's eyes. Now, there's coming a man who many believe may be of Jewish heritage, from Noah, if you would, who will arise out of a kingdom that is known prophetically for devouring. Daniel the prophet said concerning this kingdom. In Daniel 7, After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring breaking in pieces and trampling the residue with its feet. And the Lord interpreted for him, The fourth beast shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all other kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth. This man is also known as the son of the devil, the one who, quote, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Check out First Peter 5, 6. Like father, like son, like the raven, he is a devourer, but he is darkly beautiful as well. He will be impressively beautiful, extremely attractive, intelligent, charismatic, so much so that the world will worship him, and the Jewish people will initially think he's the Messiah, but he will not return unto them, just like that raven. He will be apostate and self-absorbed. He will appear to be good, and he will have the backing of religion. But he is evil, black as a raven in heart. And he will set himself up in place of, or literally anti-Christ. Also note the raven kept going to and fro, which is reminiscent of what the devil said concerning his own activity before the Lord in Job chapter 1. It says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, From where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, From going to and fro on the earth. So I will suggest that this raven may be a picture or type of the Antichrist, who the Jews, like Noah, will initially put their trust in during the tribulation. They will look to him for the answers to the problems of the world. But he will have no answers, only a ravenous desire to conquer and destroy. What about the dove? In the New Testament, we see the unmistakable linkage between the dove and the Holy Spirit. You see Matthew 3, Mark 1, Luke 3, and John 1. In the Old Testament, the dove is known for mourning. See Isaiah 38, 14 and others. And is linked with those in relationship with God. See Song of Solomon 2, 14 and others. Also, the dove is said to hide in the rock. Jeremiah 48, 28. As such, she is representative of the elect, God's children, those with whom the Holy Spirit is working closely. They are the ones who are broken before God, mournful over sin, in relationship with God, anointed by His Spirit, and who find their safety in the rock Christ Jesus. Now may the Lord grant you peace in the midst of any storm and faith to trust him. 
Look for our next podcast, and may you realize more of His grace today.